This is Geek Gab with your host, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, September 18th, 2021. Dornall, how was your week? Hey, man. My week's been pretty good. I don't have much to tell, but uh, I do have a... I, I must give a heartfelt apology for everybody hanging out in the chat live. Um, the technical difficulties today are all mine. Uh, we got our first big storm last night, and big storms are uncommon where I'm at. And so uh, there's a there's a handful of people without power. And uh, just as I was about to settle in and get started on the show, uh, my internet went out. And there's and no promises today. If it happens again, you guys will know. <laughs> um, is that technical difficulties or an act of God? Yeah, it's uh, that's it. I, I don't think it matters either way to uh, poor chat. They uh, we're we're a little bit later than normal. Um, what can I say? Uh, I I thought I was getting a signal. Uh, how do you interpret that? Do you interpret that as, you know what, John, just cancel the show and go back to bed or stick through it, you know, have have faith and persevere. I chose the latter and I'm glad for it. No, I mean, like technically certain events are covered under insurance policies and things as acts of God. Uh, and your insurance company gets away with not covering them if it's an act of God. Yeah, that, they call that force majeure. Force majeure, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that's quasi contract. So I'm just wondering. If force majeure happens, you just start running. I'm just wondering if, if the storms uh, and the internet outage, they're not really technical difficulties. They're just more of an act of God. It's true. But like, uh, a big, huge storms can't do anything about that well i mean in my mind they're the same thing do you guys you guys know the story about the reason why software defects are called bugs right no i have heard that story but i have no idea if that story is even true um back in the old days when they uh, computers were vacuum tubes in a giant closet where you'd need a, a, a whole server room held one mainframe computer. Um, and it, uh, it was just a series of tubes and boards and wires and everything going around. There was someone who was working on a program, and I forget where this was. I think it was, uh, it was either ENIAC or whatever, one of those old vacuum tube computers. And he's this guy's got the old punched card system where he's he's painstakingly written out his program and punched a bunch of cards to feed into the machine, and he kept getting bad results or a mistake or something like that. So he's he's for hours he's trying to figure out okay what the heck is going on with this program what is wrong with the machine he finally goes into the server room goes into the innards and finds one of the electrical connections was shorting because a fly had gotten into the room and landed on it and died. And so there is literally a physical bug 
in the computer preventing it from operating as expected. So that's why software defects are called bugs. Okay. And when they go around removing those bugs, it was called debugging. Debugging. And now, now debugging means something slightly different. If you're working in, uh, specifically, if if you're working with a program, debugging is the process of watching the program as it executes and uh, looking at all the data that's in the computer so that you can try and figure out what it's doing wrong. Like someone tells you, hey, this program isn't working. Well, then you sort of run the program and then step by step, you watch what the computer's doing so that you can see where you expect it to go left, but it goes right. Um, that's now called debugging. I don't know. Computer science history is, is I guess, interesting to me. Well, it's interesting when you learn the names of where things came from. Uh, it's great. I, I love that. Speaking of learning names, we have a guest today. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been a while. Welcome back to the show, Michael Tierney. Hi, good to be here. Yeah, um, I I caught up on all your stuff on WildStars.com. Would you would you mind uh, giving yourself a little bit of introduction here for everybody? All right, uh, my name is Michael Tierney. I've uh, been independently publishing uh, since 1977. I had my first story published uh, when I was still like in junior high. Uh, so I'm, I'm a writer, an artist, uh, independent publisher. Um, I'm a, a journeyman printer. Uh, you know, I'm also uh, do a lot of computer work. I uh, do, uh, you know, Photoshop. Uh, you know, doing that digital restoration of uh, lost artworks. Uh, last, a couple of years ago, I published, uh, or I had published my four-volume uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs 100-Year Art Chronology that was published by Chenault and Gray. And they're about to do uh, my next uh, art chronology, which is another massive four-book. This will be like 1,500 pages with, you know, 5,000, probably more like 10,000 or 15,000 images in it uh, for the Robert E. Howard Art Chronology. That's a project I'm working on right now. Uh, other material I got going on on the creative side uh, is um, I, you know, my, I've had a series of books uh, and comics that I've written and uh, sometimes illustrated and once even printed uh, since 1977 called Wild Stars. Um, the concept behind there, it's kind of like a, you, you had the Wild West. Well, when you go out to explore the stars, that's the new frontier. That's the wild stars. And uh, so we're in a region of the wild stars. And so, uh, you know, that's uh, I wrote a series of novels back in the 70s. And uh, one of those novels was the basis of the first comics I started publishing back in 84. Did a few portfolios. Uh, ended up doing three volumes uh, all the way up through uh, 2002. Collected those into a big graphic novel uh, called the uh, comic book uh, called uh, Wild Stars, uh, The Book of Circles. And uh, so that's uh, something I've been working on for a long, long time. Um, did, and then uh, I had a spinoff of a series called uh, Force Majeure, as we were talking about earlier. You know, the acts of God's like, you know, nothing you can do about it. The shirt contracts are all off. And uh, it was set on Mars in the not-so-distant future. And that was illustrated by another fellow. That was supposed to be a, a trilogy of comics that was a spinoff. That was going to lead into my next Wildstar story arc. Well, then the artist disappeared on me uh, 10 pages into the second book of a trilogy. You can't change artists. <laughs> you know, 10 pages into the second book of a trilogy. Oh, no. Yeah, so what I did is uh, I just said, well, okay, I, I can work this into the story. And so I made it, you know, a reason why the first book was a graphic novel and the reason why uh, the second book, you know, had elements that were illustrated. And then I novelized the rest of it, and I published that as the uh, All-Stars 2 Force Majeure. And then um, 
you know, did the uh, Egg Rise Burles chronology after that, or not, yeah, Egg Rise Burles chronology after that, and then I went back to my Wild Stars and uh, did a third novel uh, called uh, Time War Again. Well, by that time, I'd been publishing short stories uh, with Crossova Magazine, and uh, uh, one of the short stories that they did real well with was uh, a collaboration, or posthumous collaboration I did with uh, Egg Rise Burles on a Tarzan story that he had never completed. Everybody's like, well, I don't know what to do with this thing. And I, I looked at something, I knew immediately what to do. I had an idea instantly. I was like, yeah, this actually explains away uh, some things that always bothered me about the original stories. And so I wrote that, and he published it, and then uh, we got permission, of course, obviously, from Edgar Burroughs, Inc. And um, so we got that lost story published. And, of course, it got lost again even after I wrote it, because uh, originally I did that with Denton Burroughs, uh, Edgar Burroughs' grandson. Well, then he died. When he died, all the information, all the knowledge about what I was doing was lost. And therefore, all they, they, they thought it was a story I completely made up. They were like, no, keep all the money. Like, no, 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 I, you guys need to get half of it. And but finally, when they realized that, oh, yeah, that is a Ross Burroughs did part of it, uh, yeah, they were like, yeah, okay, no problem on the contract because it was already in place. And uh, but the nice thing about it was is that everybody who reads the story cannot figure out which part is mine. Uh, so I guess you could say I aped his style. And because um, uh, if they guess, they usually guess it wrong. They think the part I wrote was his part. And his part, or you know, then they think that the, his part was my part. So I guess I wrote more like Burroughs than what they thought Burroughs wrote like. Well, you know, then uh, I was uh, telling about this other, uh, you know, All Stars about what I was doing, and uh, you know, he's like, "Well, yeah, we want to publish that." So he just published that straight as a novel. And uh, then uh, I was coming up on my 35th anniversary. Well, I knocked out another novel called Wild Stars Four, and uh, the third one was called Time Warm Again. As you can tell, there's time travel in these. Uh, the fourth one was called Wild Stars Rising. And uh, there's uh, one of the original covers that was by Tim Lim, uh, who did that cover on the, the original. Uh, these are, those are sold out and out of print right there. Uh, and that one uh, was the main cover. And then below that, we had a couple of variants that uh, were made. Uh, uh, the, this one uh, there is uh, by uh, Mark Wheatley. That was the trade paperback wraparound variant. And then below that, and this is what I really enjoyed, that's the hardcover variant. Only 50 copies were made of that. No text on the cover. It was just, it was just such a beautiful image. Just, just leave it alone. And uh, so, and, you know, that was a Kickstarter. We just printed it to, you know, demand, and it was sold out. Well, then uh, when the next year I rolled around, and I had another novel I wanted, you know, had written called uh, uh, Wild Stars Ri or Wild Star Rising, and uh, that's it on the left. And then uh, when he, we, we got together, and he did. Uh, so he went ahead and published all four of the Wild Stars in a matching companion set with all new covers by Mark Wheatley. Uh, so that's the Book of Circles actually on the top left. That's Force Majeure on the right. Uh, that's um, Time War Again on the bottom left, and then on the bottom right is Wild Star Rising, which I finally go back because one of the concepts behind the Wild Stars is that 75,000 years ago, mankind made our first migration into the stars. And so uh, every story we've ever had of space gods and UFOs, that's just because coming back for a visit. And uh, so, uh, you know, we're actually related to those are our ancestors. And uh, so, uh, you know, but a in a different way because you're know, just evolution but uh, so that one right there on the uh, wild star rising explains why that uh, migration happened 75,000 years ago colonizing uh, you know planets circling the nearest stars in the night sky which are the wild stars and uh, so I finally you gave you that story and uh, you know so that you know, uh, really completed a lot of the mysteries of uh, the wild stars and uh, so then uh, the next novel I did you know I'm, I'm just knocking a one a year out now was a book called uh, the, uh, oh, let's see, in case I did the, that one, then, uh, oh, one thing, before I forget, if you scroll down a little bit lower, 
He also did an omnibus where I collected all four of those. And I worked up a brand new, um, uh, basically, I called it uh, the uh, Multiversal Guide. Uh, one of my original publications was actually called Multiversal Scribe. Well, I called this one Multiversal Guide, which gives you all the background and everything about all those uh, characters, all settings. Uh, you know, uh, elements of that was actually used to make a uh, role-playing game through Trouble Orange. And uh, so, uh, you know, it, it's just a vast, massive universe with different time settings. Uh, and so that just, that's got everything in one big package. Uh, that's like 700 and some pages on that one. And so that was all the 35th anniversary stuff. And then, uh, you know, the next one we just uh, came out with uh, is uh, Wildstar 5. He serialized that in a Kersova magazine this year. Uh, and it was in three parts. Oh, there's the uh, Amazing Adventures uh, role-playing game of Wildstar's there. And oh, then, that's cool. Yeah. That's that you're in my wheelhouse now in the role playing game. I'm gonna try not <laughs> yeah, to. I'm gonna try not to click on that. Yeah, it got uh, great reviews, and uh, then here's the one that he ran this year, which just completed uh, being published on Wednesday, uh, part three, and uh, that's uh, the Artomic Paradigm. And uh, so uh, it's kind of funny. After I did my book, the circles, some people were like, "Well, hey, wait, the bad guys are still alive, and well, I have a long term plan for them." And this is basically the where the bad guys. It's, it's kind of like the Empire Strikes Back in the series. And it's one thing I've, I've told uh, uh, Alex Alexander, the publisher, is like, I've got a 12-book plan on this. And this is kind of like my Empire Strikes Back uh, uh, you know, chapter of the, uh, of the story where your bad guys really get upper hand and uh, you know, really start taking control of all the things they've been manipulating for like a couple of 100 years at this point. Which there's a lot of story back about how, around there about why, how they're still around. And then uh, so that you know, takes the uh, story another step forward. And then uh, I've already sold him uh, next year's novel, and it's completed. It'll be published in four parts, and Krishova uh, uh, through uh, all the uh, books he does in 2002. Uh, that one's going to be called Orphan of the Shadowy Moons. Now, that was a novel, one of the novels I originally wrote back in the 70s. And so that's the story. I, I knocked it out, and uh, you know, but I was in the middle of moving from Kansas to Arkansas, which is where I'm at now. Uh, so I had a big move in the middle of it. So I, I just never really did anything with it once I wrote it. And then I went on to the next novel, which was the basis for the comics that I was publishing. And uh, so I always wanted to get back to Orphan of the Shadowy Moons, uh, which was originally called Moon Shadow. The reason I changed the title is since the time I wrote it, the name Moon Shadow has been used for a lot of different things. So I wanted to do something a little different there. So that's why I came up with a new title. And that was just a fun little story. And it was great because I had never shown it to any editors. So none of my stuff had ever been swiped. Uh, so it was still very original. And in some aspects of it, actually... Uh, maybe are going to be more accessible to readers now because of things that have happened and things have changed or I was, things I was doing that were just really crazy fantastic back then. Now they're like, oh, yeah, we can see that happening now. So, uh, you know, sometimes I was maybe a little too far ahead of the game. Was things I always used to hear from editors back in the 70s when I was trying to sell the books. Uh, so that comes out next year. Now that one goes back even further because it gives you the origin of a main character in this, a series called The uh, Ancient Warrior. And so this gives you his origin, his history. Uh, I mean, if you want to go back to really where the Wild Stars began, that's where Canada, although they weren't the Wild Stars at that time. Uh, but that's his origin, his beginning. gives you all the background. Uh, he had this uh, tragic romance with a, a woman by the name of Phaedra, so you get all the details on that. Uh, you find out about some of the adversaries who are running through all the Wild Stars now. That's where they get their origin. So that's it's going to kind of go back even further and give you all the beginning stuff. Uh, but, um, you know, the reason I didn't start there with the comics and the story because, you know, I always felt that, uh, you know, with the, uh, where I did begin with the book of circles is that you need to have it grounded 
to where a reader can you know envelop themselves and say, okay, I can see this happening, and it was set in the real world. Uh, I know one reviewer uh, called it, uh, you know, Dallas meets uh, Star Wars or something like that, and uh, because you had backwoods dirty dealing mixed with genocide, you know, planetary genocide. Uh, so before you start having too many big concepts beyond that, uh, you know, I felt you just had to ground it in the real world first and then move off into the fantastic stuff because then people are already grounded in reality. And so that's, uh, that's my wall stars there. And I'm, I'm already getting ready to work. I've got a lot of them plotted out of the next six novels and there's a definite ending on this. I've had it in mind since the beginning and, you know, having all these other novels written, you know, that way I could have this big, long, complicated story and keep it cohesive. And I remember on the uh, Book of Circles, it was, it was a complicated uh, story, too. I called it uh, Time Travel Twice Stone. And I remember uh, one reviewer, I, I love this review, he said, uh, by the middle of the story, the reader will be convinced he's on a runaway literary freight train that's constantly laying fresh track down in front. And by the time you get to the end, it wraps up with an elegant twist that leaves the reader feeling like a stupefied Watson at the end of a Sherlock Holmes mystery. Uh, you know, it sounds like that's exactly what I was going for. Uh, you know, I tell it in long form, then I repeat it uh, in short form. Now, another thing with the Book of Circles, too, is uh, something nobody would ever get or guess is uh, it's arranged in the form of a football game. It uh, begins with a pregame talk, uh, starts with a whistle, and then ends with a gunshot by a man wearing a striped shirt, and then goes into a sudden death overtime. So uh, that's something that it's actually in the, the form that nobody would ever notice unless I told them. So, I mean, these are fun to put together. I mean, I just do a lot of wild things. So many things that I was having crazy ideas on have actually ended up happening. Uh, so many times I've kind of predicted the future. Uh, so uh, it, it's been wild. It's kind of funny that... Uh, upper well, that, sound, that, that sounds like fun. Like, what's oh, one really cool thing that came out afterwards when you say, oh, yeah, I, you know, I wrote that back in 1990-whatever? Oh, discovering water water on Mars. Like if uh, you scroll back up a little bit, uh, go to that force majeure shot. This one right here? No, a little bit further. Yeah, right there. Uh, now, if, if you... Uh, see, what would click on that one? This one? No, uh, uh, yeah, that one there, yeah. And see, okay. I don't know if I show the whole thing there, but maybe scroll, yeah. Yeah, click on the first one and then scroll down a little bit. You're going to see a picture from a NASA rover. And it's, uh, you know, I had, uh, you know, water erupting on Mars and this and that. Well, then a NASA rover, like 10 years later, takes a picture and it discovers, they didn't know water was on Mars at that time. And then uh, 10 years later, they got the rover on there and it's discovering geysers. And the geyser pattern in the picture, you would have thought we copied the cover after that picture. Yeah, right there, that geyser pattern is almost like what it is on the, on the main cover. Oh, and, cool. Yeah, and then over there you see uh, that uh, the big space rock that came through uh, last year. Well, that's just like the Marzanti uh, spike, uh, where I've had basically alien colonization was going, where they would send these spikes to impact on planets to uh, code their genetic uh, material into uh, the evolution of the planet to kind of basically that, that's the way of colonization is they just genetically rewrite you. And uh, so I had uh, these things running around where they spike the planets to uh, create it. Well, then we had that come through the galaxy, uh, you know, just a few years ago. Uh, so, yeah, it's just wild sometimes when you write these ideas and then something happens in real life, like, wow, you know, okay, that's uh, ended up being right, dovetailed perfectly with my story. That's cool. It's it's like your imagination comes up with something and it's plausible. And because it's plausible, you never know. It might yeah. actually happen. Yeah, once you go back uh, to the main page and then scroll back down, and I got one website just kind of dealing with all these uh, kind of uh, un unreal predictions. If you get down to uh, the Wild Stars 5, 
Yeah. Yeah, see right there where you see Artomic.com? Yeah. Those are my villains. Now, uh, where these guys come from, these are the uh, the guys who were basically the uh, alternate reality fascists were basically, you know, the, uh, the fascists won World War II. I mean, because there was no America at that time uh, to stop them because they'd never been colonized. Uh, and uh, so... Uh, you know, those, this is kind of written from the viewpoint that there is a real Artomic.com. Uh, it, it's a word that I got from Nostradamus. And uh, my th way I worked Nostradamus into the story is that the reason his um, predictions were confusing is he was seeing the two realities. He was seeing that, the Artomic reality, and he was seeing our reality. And so he's mixing terms. That's why nobody could really figure him out. And then here, you know, I have him, uh, the, the, like it's a website, you know, uh, you know, worker there you know, talking about, you know, them and, you know, talking about all the different predictions and things come true and like, why don't we sue this guy for, you know, talking talk bad about us? And like, well, we want to know what might happen next. And uh, so, yeah, I think this is a little where I took the uh, weekly picture and uh, you had them, you know, talking about, uh, you know, like, oh, everybody sit down. This is back during the uh, toilet paper shortage where you couldn't find toilet paper. You, remember, hey, you all must be sitting down. Good. I'll just tell you a few things. And down there at the bottom, you get a link where you get uh, one of the Wild Stars uh, comics. And that's the comic I have in there. It's like the only comic that's not just really a standalone, that's a part of a link. That's where all the uh, Wild Stars 1 and 2 merge uh, with uh, the Wild Stars 3. And that's kind of where you get all the different plots really intersecting again. And uh, so I've got that on the web for free with a little commentary running to the side. Uh, so it's kind of free taste if anybody wants to get a look at it there. I, I just want to jump in. Anybody who's listening later and not watching the YouTube stream, Michael, you've got amazing, amazing artwork, comic covers, interior illustrations, and whatever. Really cool stuff. Um, oh, yeah, that was go, go, go to the wildstars.com. Uh, the link should be in the description of the video. Uh, and you can hear and see and read all about all this stuff that you've been talking about right here. Yeah. Wildstars 5 just uh, fell last chapter released this week. So, and uh, well, I've got my website made. It's like that link at the bottom. You hit that, that takes you all the way back to the main page, or you hit the bar at the top, it takes you back to the main page, or you can hit any of those links on the side, it'll take you to those pages. Those are shortcuts I have on every page. Uh, so I try to make my page as interactive as I could. And uh, so, yeah, it's uh, it, it's fun. You know, it's, it's a uh, basically a lifelong project, uh, you know, that I've been working on. And uh, it's uh, I can see the uh, light at the end of the tunnel. I just hope it's not a train coming at me. <laughs> uh I do have a couple of questions because um, I'm trying to fit this whole thing in my head that you just, it's like drinking from the fire hose, uh, getting all this history. Uh, what, what I find fascinating is that you have, uh, you've got this Wild Stars, it looks like a comic series. Uh -huh. And you, you did a comic series in number two, but you lost your artist halfway and you've been writing books ever since. That wasn't deliberate. Did you... Did you deliberately choose to step away from comics? Was it originally envisioned as a comic series? Actually, it was originally envisioned as a series of novels, and that's how it started out. And uh, then I started drawing the comics in the 80s. I drew myself. And uh, matter of fact, one of them even printed myself, a own printing press in my garage. And that was a comic that actually had some firsts that have never, you know, in the industry. It was actually the first comic book with fall stamping. It was the first comic book with die cutting. Uh, to my knowledge, it's the only comic book ever with die cutting on the back cover. And to have been not only written, penciled, inked, lettered, and everything by one person, but also even be printed by that same person. And so I used a printer technique. There's this one page where I have this mountain in the background. Well, as I go through the print run, I fade that mountain back out into the distance as the print run goes on. So if you have a real solid-looking mountain in the background, you've got uh, 
print from the very first of the run. And only made 2,000 of these. And then if you got it really faded, well, that's towards the back of the run. So that made every single copy of that comic a unique art print. So nobody's ever done anything like that before or since. So you know, it's fun to be able to have all these skills, be able to do all these things that a lot of people don't think about. And, uh, you know, back then in the 80s, I mean, there were so many things they weren't doing with comics. Now, they, you know, in the 90s, they, they started getting gimmick crazy. And uh, so but, you know, a lot of people complained about that. Like, yeah, it was my fault. I started it. <laughs> well, and, and that's sort of I want to ask about that because that's really interesting. Your typical comic creator, they're, they they seem to love what they do. But when you're publishing comics, you're just trying to get that product out there in as many hands as possible, right? Because you yeah. know you got to pay your you got to pay your bills. Uh -huh. So, how, I want to ask how much of your experimentation is just for, like you're sitting there at your printer looking at the page and you're going, you know what, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna add more ink or like I'm gonna change the ink for this particular page, and just let it fade with each new copy or was were you thinking of um were you thinking of a product or were you just experimenting going i wonder how this goes it was just an experiment it was just something like i was doing a wash on the plate and uh like hey that's fades out a little bit well, i think i'm going to keep doing that throughout the print run and it just only played you know because it wasn't affecting the foreground it was just affecting the screen on the background and i'm just going to keep on doing that and uh so just something that i just discovered as i was doing it like yeah i'm just going to run with this and uh you know just uh was a, a happy mistake, and it's like, yeah, I'm gonna keep doing it. So, yeah, and that's actually—I bet you could use that as a cool technique. In just the mountains, a great example because right. if you're if you're sitting out here and you look out at Mount Rainier, um, out here in the Puget Sound area, for the for the most part, it's tough to see on a on a cloudy day. It's uh -huh. it, you know the mountains often in hiding, so you could use that technique to really generate that sort of background foreground image. Yeah, so yeah, so I just stumble across things like that. That looks pretty cool. I, I like that. We'll keep doing it. So, and I've been what? really blessed to work with some good artists. Uh, Frank Berner did the covers on the Wild Stars three series, and uh, you know, I, I realized you know, real quick. Uh, you know, the reason I quit drawing it is is like uh, Dennis Kitchens of uh, Kitchen Sink. He was telling me one time he's looking for something. He goes, "You, you got the talent, you got the skills, but you're not putting the time into it. You either need to decide if you're going to be a writer or if you're going to be an artist." And you know, I'd kind of realized that already myself. Uh, that I need to concentrate on one or the other while I concentrate on the writing. Well, so the first thing I did was start hiring professional artists to draw them. And then, you know, that's real expensive. The comic book industry is a very limited market, only a couple thousand stores, really. I mean, they say there's more. But as far as comic book stores, uh, there, there's only a couple thousand of them uh, you know, around. And, uh, you know, after the 90s, on the 90s, it probably was about 11,000 or something like that, but the market's just completely imploded. And I know... Uh, like Diamond Comics, there's a bait and tackle shop that had a rack of comics here in Arkansas. And Diamond counted them as a comic book store. So they counted everybody who had any stocking of a comic as a comic book store when they really were not. And uh, so I was working for a really limited market. And that's why I kind of started, okay, let's get back to the novels because that opens up the market everywhere. And then, of course, you had things like Amazon come along, which made it easier. You didn't have to get a Fifth Avenue uh, Street uh, publisher in New York to uh, carry your book to get it published, uh, you know, like you did back in the 70s. Now you, there are other ways to publish your work. And uh, then uh, Alex came along as kind of an independent publisher. And uh, yeah, he uh, was shopping at uh, one of my stores. And uh, you know, he was asking me, say, hey, you've done some publishing. Uh, I'm getting ready to do this magazine called Casola. And so I gave him you know, some tips and answered his questions. And then he comes back with his first issue. I looked at it, I'm like, that's pretty good. I like what you're doing. Are you uh, accepting short stories? Because I had some stories sitting around. I didn't want to send anywhere because it's like, again, you, you just get tired of being swiped. 
And so he published a short story of mine called Shark Fighter. Several more short stories after that. And then uh, he started publishing my Wild Stars. And so, um, and he was one and like, we need to get you to a wider audience. Uh, so let's start serializing the novels in Crusova Magazine. And then we'll do a book release later. Uh, you guys have been partners ever since. So I, I take it that's working well for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're working well. Uh, you know, he'll, uh, you know, he concentrates on, you know, the, uh, the marketing side and this and that. You know, I had people offering to be the publisher of my Wild Stars comic back when I did those. I'm like, why do I need a publisher? Because I know all the details about how to make it, you know, from the marketing and this and that. But what I didn't realize was how much time and extra effort that takes away from the creative side of it. And uh, I probably should have accepted one of those offers. And uh, in retrospect, I probably could have gotten better sales because you better promotion. Uh, if you like Chanel Gray, those guys have gotten the sales up on my uh, uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs chronology far beyond what I could have done. I had the op option to uh, self-publish that myself. And that's when I was realizing, you know, bringing other people in, yeah, you know, they take a cut of the pie. Uh, but a smaller cut of a bigger piece of pie is a lot better than a bigger cut of a small pie. So yeah, I hear you. That, that promotion, the word they can get out, uh, you know, they have skills that you don't have uh, in that promotional area. And so that allows me just to concentrate on the creation side. Well, you should teach your technique to some people. Uh, talking with Arden on Studios in the chat, he's got some history for us about the the plate washing trick you're using with the with that comic page saturation and brightness changes was used in some american comics groups books to produce a pseudo 3d effect most comics today use full saturation everywhere and it's a mess what do you think yeah you know just uh there's a lot of things that they're just not doing right in, in the print industry uh the uh you know of course the industry has been through an evolution too uh, you know i was doing back on old uh what you originally it, when printing started it was letterpress which was the same way the gutenberg bible was printed uh, then you went to offset printing in about really about the 60s when it really exploded. And that's basically when they say offset. I uh, used to the uh, letterpress was everything was in reverse and a roller would run across the, you know, the letters and then it would press against the paper and you had a letterpress image. Well, with offset, an ink roller runs across the, uh, uh, the image and then it offsets that onto a blanket, which then presses against the paper. And, you know, that's, that's why when you're looking at it in you know, offset printing, it looks the right way because it's got another flip uh, going in the process, going to the blanket where it's then done reverse there and then put on the paper in the right order. And uh, now you've got digital coming along and uh, that's just changed the ball game completely. And uh, so, um, you know, I was using uh, on my wall starts with the fall stamp and the die cut. I was using old letterpress stuff there on that. And then of course with the, uh, uh, the fading of the uh, image, I was using, uh, you know, uh, offset printing on that. So, you know, letterpress offset. And then of course now you got digital and it's kind of funny. Uh, my first Wild Stars uh, novel I did uh, was uh, just called uh, The Book of Circles. It wasn't called Recalibrated. I called it Recalibrated later when I added a lot of new material in. Uh, basically, I was using like one of my portfolios for the introduction. Well, then I hired an artist who did most of the uh, Wild Stars 3 art, uh, Dave Simons, to redraw the introduction. And you know, added some other elements and some other bonus material. And that's why I called that one Wild Stars Recalibrated. Uh, and so, uh, but on the very first Wild Stars, The Book of Circles, when I collected the comics the first time, I uh, was using uh, basically the uh, Ingram uh, periodicals uh, lightning source. And uh, I was the first graphic novel that they'd ever printed. Uh, I might have actually been one of the first uh, you know, print-on-demand uh, graphic novels. And uh, so we had to have a meeting, uh, a teleconference, because they, they didn't know how to do anything like that. And you know, me being a former printer, you know, I was using the, some printer terms, and uh, I could tell I was confusing them. And then we got to one point when I was, because I have a lot of uh, you know, strong, what, images, you know, positive, negative on there. 
a lot of ink coverage, uh, you know, a lot of black ink coverage, which we used to call that in the printing, heavy blacks. So when I'm asking if they have any problem printing images with heavy blacks, the room goes silent. And then finally, uh, one person goes, I think he means heavy ink coverage. You'd hear all this nervous laughter. I'm like, what kind of book did you guys think I was wanting to print here? Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's kind of funny as, as terminology changes and techniques changes. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's been an evolution. Uh, so it's uh, and one of the things I talk about in uh, the uh, the uh, Burroughs chronology and the Robert E. Howard chronology is, uh, you know, those are things that span the different technologies. And uh, actually, I've got a uh, an article going to be running in the, the uh, winter issue of uh, Kosovo magazine where is, is, this is a nonfiction article where I'm basically giving you the uh, history of where science fiction came from and it actually from was from the invention of a machine uh, which changed one guy's career and trajectory who was an editor who really fanned the flames of uh, science fiction probably more than any other editor and a lot of people forgot about him so uh, that's an article I got coming out uh, in the next issue of Kosovo so basically with that article and the, the two wild stars not on either side I'll be in eight consecutive issues of uh, Kosovo magazine Oh, that's uh, that's good company. Uh, oh, we yeah. love we love Alex. We love Chris over around here. Um, he does a great job. Uh, he really does. Um, great segue, by the way. I, I wanted to switch gears and ask you about your Edgar Rice Burroughs and Robert E. Howard works. Howard works because last time we talked, we were uh, you were doing Time Warmageddon. Um, I remember these covers now. Um, and since then, you've done you did the Edgar Rice Burroughs story, and you mentioned that earlier, and I want to dig a little bit deeper into that. Uh, you had a lost story that was never published, and, and you finished that up and published it posthumously. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? All right, that's the uh, Young Tarzan and the Mysterious She. Uh, you know, it's, uh, the original short story was written by Edgar Rice Burroughs. He started, uh, it was kind of like a, a next wave of Jungle Tales that he was doing, and it's called Young Tarzan Ponders. And uh, so uh, we're basically uh, Young Tarzan, uh, you know, Back in in the days of the Jungle Tales was uh, with the tribe and some of the uh, apes were saying, "Hey, we just saw with the uh, the native uh, village uh, a uh, white prisoner with blonde hair," and that's where he stops. And the reason nobody else wanted to ever tackle the story is like, well, Jane was the first blonde-haired woman he ever met, and uh, you know, so you know, people didn't know what to do because they, they didn't want to mess up uh, canon. And but I had a story that uh, like this will work perfectly, and it also kind of uh, gave me an opportunity to explain away some things I, I kind of bothered me when I first was introduced to Tarzan. I started with Tarzan and Jules of Opar. And in there, he gets amnesia and has to learn who he is again. So me, as a new reader, I got to learn who he was that way. Well, uh, in it, um, he first meets beautiful Law of Opar. She's just, he doesn't remember who he is. She's just throwing herself at him. He's like, nah, I don't want nothing to do that. I'm like, why? You, you know, you don't remember Jane. You don't know what, you know. So that, that never made a lot of sense. Then he takes one look at Jane. Still doesn't remember her. He's charging in the guns. You want to look at a blonde-haired girl. So... I wanted to, you know, take that story and use that as a reason for where he uh, basically imagined what his fantasy girl was like. You know, uh, you know, he didn't actually meet a blonde-haired girl, but uh, you know, I, I worked in the story to kind of explain away all the different elements and use the elements, and uh, he created a story from that, uh, which also kind of resolved all the uh, problems that I saw in uh, Tarzan and the Jewels of Opar. I was like, well, why would Tarzan just completely turn his hand at Jane? I mean, at uh, Law, but then just charge guns at one glance at blonde-haired Jane, and uh, with still not even remember who she was. So, you know, I kind of explained that psychology in that short story. And so it's, it's gotten really good reviews. The only bad review I ever got was some guy said, well, you're breaking canon. You, you shouldn't have met another blonde haired person. I'm like, hey, you didn't even read the story, did you, before you wrote your review? Because I, I don't break canon. It was kind of nice. a hole there I had to fit through. 
Well, it, it's it's a good thing. It sounds like uh, if you ever get bored of your own stuff, you could uh, use your writing skills on being a ghostwriter for Ed, Edgar Rice Burroughs stories. Actually, I have written. Uh, I was talking to uh, uh, Jim Solis, the president, you know, about one thing. And I was like, well, you know, here's the reason why your, your movies are failing because you keep going back in time. You know, when Tarzan came out, he was a contemporary, and you need to modernize it. But whenever they try to modernize it, I, I've never felt they got it right because you know I like that idea. If I put that down in the uh, a plot line, we might uh, commission you to write a movie script. So I did. He looked at it and said, I really like that. Uh, you know, forget the uh, movie script. We just do it as a novel, and then we use this as a novel maybe to promote what we do for the next novel. So I wrote that up, and, uh, you know, because this was back when I still had my two stores, so it took me a little while to get it turned in. By the time I got it turned in, they were doing another suggestion I made, like, why don't you guys get your own editions of your own books out, and you know, rather than have all these people doing all this public demand? Well, they decided that was a good idea. They started doing that, and uh, so they were in the middle of doing all that when I got my novel turned in. So I turned that in uh, uh, called Tarzan Unbound uh, back in, uh, you know, June of last year. And uh, Jim said he's going to try to get it read by the end of this year. So uh, yeah, it's been sitting on his desk for better part of a year now. So, uh, but basically it's where I modernized Tarzan as if he was, you know, coming of age at, at this time. And it's wild. Oh, that- I approached it from the uh, viewpoint uh, like with my wild stars, I had a big, long, several novels written. I had a big, long storyline, so I knew everything I wanted to do with it. And so I approached the entire thing. What did Edgar Burroughs do? He was going to want to write all the Martian novels, going to write the uh, all the Pulitzer novels. All you know, had basically had his whole universe in his head. And so I wrote that, and so I have elements and the cameos from all those things in that novel too. I had a lot of fun with it. It really was. It's a crazy, wild novel. Introduced some new concepts and uh, had some great moments. I take him on the hero's journey and. Uh, you know, tear them down, build them right back up again. And it, it, I think it's a great story. Uh, of course, I have to wait and see if they like it. Uh, I don't know if you could go wrong. Um, now you've got me, uh, my brain. I don't have this right in my brain. What What are you doing right now with Chris Are you doing an, another, um, what's the author's name? Oh, we're, we're doing uh, some recovery of lost stories. Um you know, I did when I was doing the Edgar Burroughs chronology. Of course, I restored all these ancient images, and I mean, I was uh, publishing uh, you know, images in there that were over a hundred years old. Well, they needed restoration, and uh, so while I was collecting all these old pulps. You know, there was a lot of cool pulps on the other uh, issues. I said, like, "That's pretty neat." So I created a page on my website, you know, of pulps, and uh, you know, just showed a lot of other cool stuff. Well, then uh, one image I put up, uh, uh, Robert Ludlum Jr. He's a, he's a science fiction writer also. Uh, he write, writes me up and goes, hey, you know, that book's never been reprinted. Do you have all the chapters? We may want to get together and uh, get this published. Well, remembering my mistakes uh, from the uh, not accepting your publisher's uh, offers in uh, on my Wild Stars comics, I thought, you know, let's uh, bring Alex in on this and Krasova, if he can handle the publishing side. I've got the books. I'll handle the images and, you know, you know, copying all the, you know, scanning all the pages uh, and then also restoring the cover and uh, creating a new cover. And uh, you know, Robert, you know, typed up all the text, and uh, you know, I said I actually did the publishing. And that was called uh, a Cosmic Courtship by the fellow uh, by the name of Julian Hawthorne. Uh, the reason the Hawthorne name sounds familiar is his dad was Nathaniel Hawthorne, and um, the reason his stuff had just gotten lost to time. Nathaniel probably at one point was on the way to become a uh, you know bigger name than his dad was. And he's very prolific. Really wrote good stuff. Uh, and he was all over the place. I mean, he wrote every type of fiction, too. I mean, from nonfiction to fiction. And uh, But it's like his dad uh, is best known for a novel called The Scarlet Letter about an adulteress. Uh, well, uh, Julian was a little bit of an adulterer. He had two families. 
So he had a lot of expenses to keep up with. And uh, so uh, when these guys uh, offered him a, a partnership on a silver mine in Canada, he goes, yeah, that sounds great. And he kind of became their front man, their pitch man. And it turned out to be a con. And it wasn't real. And so they scammed all these people out of the money. Him being the front man, he took the brunt of it. He's like, guys, I got con just like you did. But he's the one who went to jail, uh, served his time, got out. He was very bitter about it. It, it really reflected in a lot of his writing about the uh, judicial system and our justice system that we have. And uh, but uh, so uh, he, he started writing again. And all stories, you know, commissioned all these stories from him. But these stories, unlike all his previous work, they were never reprinted. The publishers, did, you know, book publishers didn't want anything to do with him. And so, uh, you know, he wrote uh, things like The Cosmic Courtship, uh, written in 1917, about the far-off distant date of the year 2001, which opens with a woman uh, climbing to the top of a 500-foot uh, building, jumping off, and then flying away with the use of a gravity belt. Uh, it's got, tele you know, uh, telepathic teleportation. I mean, it's just got all sorts of wild stuff in there. And it is way ahead of its time. And it's, uh, you can tell it's so different from science fiction as it became, because this is back in the days when science fiction was first writing. You know, people were just... They didn't know what to do. Edgar Rice Burroughs, when he first wrote A Princess of Mars, about a guy going to Mars, uh, astral projecting, uh, he was so worried people were going to think he was off his rocker uh, that he uh, wrote it under the pseudonym of Normal B, like my head is normal. Uh, <laughs> then the guy sitting the type uh, completely blew the gag. Oh, he must be Norman Bean. And so published as A Princess of Mars by Norman Bean. And he's like, okay, that killed the joke. All right, my name's Edgar Rice Burroughs. And I went from there. And uh, but you know they just thought people think I'm crazy writing this kind of stuff back then because uh, it was so different, so unique. And so uh, that that's a really a, a very important part of the early evolution of science fiction that was lost to time. Uh, you know, so other people did you know similar things. Uh, J.U. Geisy with Painless and the Dog Star Pack, another astral projection story, been reprinted many times since. But uh, uh, poor old uh, Julian Hawthorne stuff just got languished and got forgotten. Uh, he also wrote, and this is a, so we published. Uh, the Cosmic Courtship uh, did a kickstart on it, did very well, far beyond our expectations. We got those all shipped out. I also created a page on my website where I you let you see all the original scans. And I made it interactive with my entire website so you don't have to go back and forth from a thumbnail to an image. I made it where you can go from one image to the next or go anywhere else from my, uh, on my website from each page. And uh, so what we did, decided, and one of the uh, levels uh, that we achieved, uh, we said, hey, if we get to this level, We'll create a new imprint called Crusova Classics, where we do more of this stuff of taking books that have been lost that are in my library and uh, publish them so other people can read them. Because unless you've got those old pulps, you don't get to see these stories. And so the first thing we decided to do was let's get the rest of Julian's stuff and get it all out there. Well, he had this character by the name of Martha Clint. She was basically the first mistress of the occult, completely forgotten. And uh, one short story about her had, had a, a couple of reprints uh, called uh, Absolute Evil. It's a werewolf story. Then he had another story, A Goth from Boston, never been reprinted. Uh, another one, uh, his novel, uh, Martha Clint, was called uh, Sarah's, Sarah Was Judith. That's never been reprinted. So we put those two books in two hardcovers, and then we collected some of his other short stories that have never been reprinted, Doors Dances uh, and Fires Rekindled. Fires Rekindled is about the reincarnation. Uh, Doors Dances is about an eccentric millionaire who wants to adopt a little girl, and his wife, uh, she's like, no, you want to adopt that child. Give me all your money. So basically, he gave up his fortune so he could adopt a little girl and uh, then become a vagabond banjo player and endorse dance to his music. So it's kind of a heartwarming story. Uh, you know, no science fiction element at all, but uh, it's a cute story. And uh, one of the things I kind of find interesting is about how prophetic he is in his writing because there's a line in there where somebody makes a phone call. And, uh, you know, back then, 1917, 1918, when the story was written, 
uh, phones were just a brand new thing. And he's talking about how, you know, these phones, this is like opening a Pandora's box. I'm like, oh, he has no idea. <laughs> I heard a statement that book is, that statement was going to be in the future. And uh, so, uh, yeah, it's good stuff. So that's uh, in a, uh, Doris Dances and Fires for Kindle is in a third book that we're doing. Uh, each one of these books is available in a pocket paperback or in a full-size uh, paperback or a hardcover or a magazine format. So you got four formats to choose from, or you can buy all three of the books in one format or another. And then it's being offered on Kickstarter right now. And then uh, we took it another step farther and created an omnibus that collected all those books plus Cosmic Courtship. So you can buy these books in any format to match across the courtship if you've got it already. Or if you don't, you just want to buy them all in one big book, we did uh, an omnibus. Now, um, the, uh, the first two books had artwork that was connected to the stories, and I restored the artwork on that. But Fires Rekindled and Doors Dancing uh, Dances does not have artwork, did not have artwork. So uh, we got together uh, with Dark Philly. Uh, she's done a lot of illustration for Kosova. And she uh, penciled and inked the, uh, the cover, and I colored it. And uh, <laughs> as... Uh, Alex said, it made me pop a few monocles because I uh, had a blonde-haired woman in ancient Egypt, uh, you know, uh, having an encounter with uh, the uh, Pharaoh's wizard and uh, the necromancer. And so, uh, yeah, it, you know, people are like, blonde in Egypt? But that actually is part of the story. It's actually accurate for the text. So, yeah, it's kind of funny how people have all these preconceptions. You do something a little bit different, it blows their mind. Cool. And that's and so, all I, harder now. Uh, I, I love that you and Alex are, are doing that. I What's your role in the restoration uh, of the of the art and the stories? Well, I provide the original text. I, I've got the, the original pulps, so I scan those to give some, Robert something new. Uh, you know, write from uh, you know, type up and, and transcribe into a brand new type, and then you know, Alex uh, you know, does all the editing and publishes the books, and then I restore the covers, or in the case of a couple of them, uh, you know, do the colorization on them. So uh, basically, I, I kind of rescue them and uh, and then do the cover work. Oh, cool. Um, and that sort of leads into uh, you doing the same thing with, and, and we talked to Alex about this uh, a couple of weeks ago about the Hawthorne uh, stories. Really cool stuff, really fans, fascinating stuff. Uh, and and the the art that you guys used is some of my favorite that I've seen out of um, Kursova. Oh, cool! Glad you like it. Um, great images. Those, those guys were so talented back then, and they were very well trained. And uh, uh, you know, it just nowadays. Uh, there's not the skills that they used to be. Yeah, I think that goes back to what we were talking about in modern comics, where everybody's gone to digital, and so without the physical process there, and I wanted to make this point earlier, the physical process of actually printing the pages gave you an avenue by which to explore different ways to do that. Well, and for someone creating digitally they're sort of left to explore the limitations of whatever computer program they're using to generate those images yeah. so you may be able to do something really cool like those old covers on your computer but you're going to have to sort of investigate the software and see if those processes and features have been implemented in a way that let you do yeah. that yeah it's nice to know what used to be available in print uh you know letterpress and the offset and then okay how can i use this uh yeah, the new uh, system to recreate stuff like that. It's like uh, there was a series of the comics that Alex ran in the, his uh, magazines this year called Bad X. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a good story. It was printed black and white back in the late 80s, early 90s. And the uh, problem was they didn't have the original artwork for it anymore. And this was printed in black ink only on very cheap pulp paper, 
three years in bins, pages rubbing together, and that ink had just smeared all over the pages. I just really just destroyed the art. And uh, so, you know, he was trying to you know, recover it because he, you know, he made a deal with the uh, writer, the owner of the rights, to reprint it in uh, his magazine. And uh, he liked the story. And uh, he'd actually bought them in the, my cheap bins at my stores. Uh, that's where he first discovered them there. And, uh, but, you know, he had no good copies of it. And the, the creator didn't have any uh, good copies. And so I went back with Photoshop to restore them to make them look back like they originally did. So that, it was not, that was uh, skills that I gained from all that restoration I did uh, on all those pulp covers uh, during the Burroughs book. All that Burroughs book, I'm, there are some images that I had put as much as a 40-hour work week just to restore a single image. I was going down all the way to the single pixel on some images just to get it to look right. My goodness. Yeah, I want every cover to look like it did when it first came out new, not showing all that wear and tear from age. Now that's a labor of love. It is, yeah. And of course, you also learn a lot about those artist styles and this and that because you got to, okay, I've got a blank spot here. What would they have done? But I got to pull elements from other parts of the painting so it'll match because you can't just airbrush something in on something that's got all this uh, dot matrix all over it. You know, so you got to make it look consistent. That that reminds me, that makes me think of something that I've seen a very, very popular YouTube channels that are dedicated to just restoration work. Like it's just a guy in in a museum, his job is restoring artwork and things like that. And he's got the, you know, all the camera set up and everything like that. If you did that, I mean, it's a niche, but if you did that, you'd have a lot of people because I'd be fascinated to see that process in action. Like, here we go. Here's this here's this pulp cover here's where all there's there's damage and there's missing things like let's try and fill this out the way the artist maybe had intended yeah i tell you what sometimes when i start these projects i could when i finish them i couldn't tell you how i did it because i just kind of get in and start rocking and rolling and dive deep and, uh you know i've had to invent new skills that i didn't have because i'm like, okay well how am i going to fix this and uh you know by the time i get down okay i figure out a way and i, I developed a new skill to do it uh but uh yeah, I remember there was one image I looked at, it was so bad, I had like heart palpitations, like, oh, how am I going to do this job? And uh, by the time I got done, I was like, well, that looks pretty good. And then later I find a good copy of it, and I don't even have to update it because what I end up looks matches with it. So it's nice when you can kind of, you know, make that kind of detective work and uh, sleuth your way to get it right. Oh, sounds awesome. What other what other projects uh, that you have you been working on outside of that? I, I see a link on your page to the, Robert E. Howard Conan art chronology. Yeah. yeah, I didn't learn my lesson, I figure, on Burroughs chronology. I, I lost myself into another one there, and uh, now I'm uh, trying to do uh, the, uh, the the Robert E. Howard one, where I'm, I'm basically I'm going to show you an image of everything he was ever published in. And so it's going to be even more images and more pages uh, than the Edgar Rice Burroughs one. Uh, the nice thing about the Robert E. Howard chronology is not quite as old material. He, his stuff's kind of basically started in the late 20s. And uh, so it's not quite as old as uh, the Burroughs, which started in the uh, 1912. And uh, so uh, the first one, is, it's going to be the same format as the original chronology. Volume 1 deals with all the pulps. Volume 2 deals with all the books, both hardcover and paperback, in both the U.S. and U.K. Volume 3 and 4 deals with all the comics. And the Volume 4 will also include the U.K. comics, too. Oh, cool. Yeah, and is it? Is that still in, in progress? Yeah, I'm working on that now, yeah. Holy I've got the first cow. two volumes completely done. Those were the hardest one because uh, it, it's kind of funny because we I did a podcast with, uh, we hired a guy by the name of Rusty Burke, who's the president of the uh, Robert E. Howard Foundation, uh, to do the editing. 
as we were doing the podcast on the day the Kickstarter launched on it. And um, I made the comments like, my gosh, I swear, if Robert E. Howard had a grocery list, people would have compiled all his lists and said, the greatest grocery list of Robert E. Howard. He goes, oh, yeah, we're working on that. He's just joking, you know, obviously. But I mean, it just, <laughs> I swear, everything that guy ever wrote on paper, it's been printed and, uh, and reprinted and reprinted. Uh, you know, originally I was just going to do the first printings of all this stuff, and I realized it was so inextricably combined with the reprint stuff. I just couldn't cherry pick things. I, was like, I just got to do it all. Uh, so it turned into a much more massive uh, project than I intended. And he wrote everything. He wrote fight stories, uh, horror stories. Uh, he invented sword and sorcery. I mean, he, uh, you know, had, had adventures all across the globe. Uh, you know, and he would mix genres quite a bit. And so uh, that's why so much of his stuff was so original and different. Uh, he really was a, a prolific writer for just really only like about a 12-year period of time. It was incredible what he turned out. Well, I guess that's why he's got such a following after so many right. years. And he had a lot of great artists illustrating his stuff over the years, too. And uh, so that, that was the same thing with Burroughs, all that great artwork. And unless you had a lot of these old pulps, a lot of these you never get to see again. So I went through and um, you know, collected them all up, restored them to what they looked like when they were brand new. And uh, now you get to enjoy them the way people did when they were first put out on the rack. Yeah, really cool stuff. Uh, stuff that, uh, I've, I mean, I've never seen these covers. And... Uh, you rarely get that kind of artwork these days. Right, um, yeah. They, and, uh, yeah. They used to call it lurid because of the bright colors. I just like it. I, I think it looks great. I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with lurid. Uh, you know, it, today, it, it, it jumps out. It, it jumps out as from that era. Is, isn't, right. uh, we're talking we're talking the 1920s, so we're actually talking about the Art Deco area, or era. Yeah. And so, yeah, bright red colors with a nearly nude woman battling cobras you know uh, yeah that's you want to you want to get those eyes on the magazine and see okay what's what's in this one i want to read this one right yeah and you know the bright colors you know attracts your eye and uh you know nowadays uh so many of the computer color stuff tends to be kind of monotone and one thing a lot of the computer colors don't figure out till they get into the career a little bit is that they're working on a light box the image that they're looking at on their box is not going to print that way. It's going to lose the brightness and the contrast. So you've got to adjust for that before you go to print. And, uh, mm. you, and it's just like even when I'm uh, creating these things, like uh, say I've got a near mint copy of, of something I want to put in there, I just can't scan it and be done. You know, you, of course, you've got to do the cropping and the arrangement, get everything squared and centered. But then you've also got to adjust the brightness and the contrast just to get it to look right. Because if you just scan it and go, it's not going to look right. Well, um. You've got so much stuff going on, but uh, so I want to I want to start wrapping up here. Um, is there anything that you haven't talked about that I've missed? Oh, I've got other projects working on, but uh, you know, nothing really. Uh, this is stuff that's going on right now. So, uh, you know, my wild search is my big thing. I love doing the, the nonfiction of the chronologies, uh, and of course, I'm really enjoying doing with the Kosovo classics and recovering these lost stories. So, you you hit the big stuff. Cool. Well. Uh, We'll make sure that there's links to all that for anybody listening later. They can hit the description and, and see what you're working out. Thewildstars.com is where you all this stuff is linked, and uh, it's great. Uh, there's all sorts of cool artwork. I, I, I just on a personal note, um, and this is a compliment. I love the whole web 1.0 style page. It's just here's some text. Here's all these cool covers. Like something catches your eye, click on it. Well, that that's on. Purpose, uh, you know, I, I wanted something really simple that if, if you got an older computer, you could access my website. 
And, uh, you know, because I've, my computers aren't completely up to date. And, uh, you know, I'll run into a website every now and then I can't get into unless I go to a different computer. And I didn't want that to happen on my website. I wanted to keep it a simple design. And, like, I'm also uh, on the city council where I live. And so I've got a page on there, and people love it because, you know, I keep it simple. They can print out from there if they want to know what happened in a certain council meeting or on a certain issue. They can print out all the details from my website. So I, I, it's all about accessibility to me. And plus, it's something I can write. And uh, I update my website all the time. So uh, love it's it. myself and uh, make it accessible to everybody with no matter what their level of the computer is. Uh, that's cool. That's cool. I think in in a, in an age, as you discovered, an age of specialization, sometimes you need to you know pay the man to do a job like do your comic covers and sometimes you get enough value out of working on it yourself just to make it exactly the way that you want it that's fun besides yeah because you know that way if i have something new or something comes out i can make the changes instantly and uh so uh yeah it's, it's just the control that you have on that and uh you know, I had people want to build website. People still want to say, oh, we can redesign your website where it's better. And I'm like, yeah, but it works. And uh, I, I, this month, I'm probably going to get 200,000 hits on my website. So I get good traffic. Cool. Uh, and I hate, to, I, I hate to say it, but I think we've just been talking over Daddy Warpig all day. Poor guy. Um, I, I figured you would have spoken up if you had a question or something, but uh, anything you want to ask or talk about today, DW? Um, I'm just trying to figure out where I can go to slave in the salt pits to get enough money to buy the two four book collections because they look just amazing and awesome. And I really want to have them sitting on a shelf so I can pull them down and read them. They just are uh, incredible looking. Well, thank you. Yeah, I uh, I try to just pack them with so much stuff that you can look at them over and over again and still always be able to find something new that you missed the first time. They're just so packed with material. Yeah, now the uh, uh, the uh, Burroughs one is available for sale now on uh, Amazon or you can go to a Chenault and Gray. Uh, I know they had a 25% off sale running recently. I'd probably start there just to check because sometimes they've run sales and forgotten to take the sale off and, and they'll honor it if, if you can catch it while they still got that uh, uh, deal going there. Uh, so uh, you can buy directly uh, from, they have a, a store called Trollords because they do a lot of role-playing game. And uh, they're also the guys who uh, you know did my Wildstar role-playing game there too. And uh, so uh, you can either buy directly from them and I'd, I'd look for that discount or you know, maybe pick it up on Amazon. And of course, Robert E. Howard, uh, the Kickstarter is closed on that one. And so there are a lot of bonus items that people got during the Kickstarter that won't be available later when it comes out. But uh, yeah, these are real nice packages. Uh, the, you know, the books have printed covers, and then the cover on the hardcovers are actually printed on dust jackets on top of that, and all that is then put in a slipcase. I mean, it's, it's a great package. They do a great job. Awesome. I they're can, oversized. Uh, they're giant. Matter of fact, just to kind of give you an idea... Oh, yeah, show us. This is the Burl set. Now, this is a leather edition set, but this oh my goodness. the idea of the set. And, um, and leather sold out right away. But uh, these things are just massive. And uh, let's see if I can grab one here. 
these are pretty big, so they don't work well with a small screen, but uh, just, just trying to give you an idea of some of the art on the inside there. Yeah, I'm trying to, trying to get StreamYard to show us enough. I guess you're up in the corner there. Yeah, beautiful. Look at that beautiful full-page image. Yeah, I got a lot of that in there, so I'm going to get you a lot of stuff that you won't get to see uh, unless you have the original books. And uh, Yeah, there's just a lot of fantastic stuff throughout these things, and they're... Uh, you, know, you can tell they're loaded with information and, uh, you know, great color images. And like I said, I, I restored the images to where they look like when they were brand new. Now, these leathers are long gone, but uh, they still have the hardcovers with the wrappers. Yeah, they're beautiful. I, I can see the images right there. It's on Amazon. Edward Rice Bros. 100-Year Art Chronology. Really easy to find. Um, oh, that's cool. That's really cool. <laughs> Well, uh, thanks for hanging in, uh, everybody. I know we started late, but uh, we're just about out of time. Um, check out check out Michael Tierney's stuff, um, thewildstars.com. Um, always check out Crusova Magazine um, and art books on Amazon. Really cool stuff. Uh, anything? Any other shout-outs or anything you want to say, Michael? I just want to say uh, hi to everybody. Thank you for visiting. And I hope uh, you find something of interest uh, at Jonas. Uh, uh, Crusoe does great publications. You need to check out their work. Uh, Shadow Gray does great stuff. And if you're into role playing game at all, you definitely need to check out their Troll Lord publications because they have Castles and Crusades, uh, and they do a lot of great work too. Oh, I'm gonna have to do that. Uh, DW, anything else you want to chat about? No. I I'm know. Good. We are so good. Uh, it's great having you on, Michael. Uh, for my part, I'm gonna. Thank you for coming on. Always a, a pleasure. Uh, we'll have to have you on again. Ch check in sometime with uh, whatever projects you're working on. You know, we work um, on something. <laughs> yep. Uh, big thanks to Daddy Warpig, uh, my inimitable host, who is awesome. Uh, everybody in the chat, hey, uh, I'm not going to do chat shout outs today, uh, but just so that you know, uh, we are. We love to have you here. It's so uh, good to have the uh, chat. We People here love the pulps. They love the artwork and everything like that. Um, so we're just a good collection of good people here. I'm done for this week. I'm signing off for today. Daddy Warpig, take it away. All right. I want to thank everybody who came and uh, listened live to the show. You got to see some great artwork. Everybody who is listening later, uh, you can come and rewatch the show on youtube.com slash geekgab. That's youtube.com slash geekgab. Uh, and on YouTube, you'll get a chance to see the artwork that everybody else has been drooling over. Um, or if, if you want, you can catch it on the Apple to iTunes store on soundcloud.com or the Google Play store. Uh, so you can listen to it on the device of your choice. Unfortunately, you won't also be able to see the artwork. Um, thanks everybody for tuning in. We are signing off for now, but don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.